This podcast is brought to you by GG Poker. GG Poker won huge tournaments and hold the Guinness World Record for the largest prize pool for an online poker tournament. As the world's biggest online poker room, GG Poker are making poker fun again. GG Poker offers exciting game formats and software features that aren't available anywhere else. So why play anywhere else? Plus, if you're new to GG Poker, get £60 free play when you make your first deposit of £10 or more. Players must be 18 plus. Full terms and conditions apply. Please see ggpoker.co.uk for details. BeGambleAware.org. Please play responsibly. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So could you please welcome him to the stage, Brian McClare. Brian, obviously there was this disconnect between the board members, the management and the players who were out of contract. We ended up losing Mo Johnson anyway, even though he was a guy that were focusing on keeping. Who was interested, to your knowledge, um, was it just Manchester United? Were there other clubs interested? Um, to then the contractual situation was that you would, probably a bit similar to now, that you could speak to other clubs other clubs could express an interest and you would, you could speak to them uh, after January or something like that so Davey had um, told me this and uh, I had various different people phoning me saying um, clubs were interested um, Tottenham I think were one um, Tottenham were Chelsea um, a couple of Belgian clubs Cologne in Germany that's that's all Manchester United. That's all I can remember. So it was like you would give you you then be allowed to, if you wanted to, to speak to whoever was interested. I was only interested in Manchester United because I had or Celtic because I'd been a say a fan of United since I was since the early seventies. You know they were my English team and that's the team that I followed. The English team I followed. So. 
Was there also maybe an ambition having started off down in England and not getting an opportunity to break into the first team to go back down there and maybe prove to people that you could do it? No, no, there's no, no, no thing about that. I think that playing for four years with Scotland and playing in European football because uh, the English teams were banned from European football at that time arguably could have been a, a, as good if not better a way of showing that you were a you're playing in good teams and, uh, and and enjoying yourself as a football player and scoring goals and winning games. So there wasn't there wasn't a huge uh, there wasn't really much of a difference. It came down to uh, at the end that I made that decision that I would go to Manchester United. Um, Alex Ferguson would, would, was the one who convinced me that that, that the what well, he said to me he wanted to rebuild a football club. Do you want to be part of that, son? And uh, I thought, yeah, yeah, I think I might want to be part of that. Um, and his dream and his vision had has hugely uh, surpassed anybody's dreams and wild imaginations, uh, considering what happened in his tenure as the manager of Manchester United. Who welcomed you into the Manchester United dressing room? Who were the players you, you've stuck, you've, you spoke about? Tommy Burns, Roy Aiken, and that the jokers of the dressing room. Who were the jokers at Man United at that? Oh time? well, it, it just seems to me that the, the two funniest people that I've met in football are both uh, ginger nuts, <laughs> Tommy Burns and Gordon Strachan. Uh, I can't imagine what they were like together when they were managing Celtic, you know. But they were both of them were quick, sharp, funny. Still funny now that uh, I was killing myself laughing during the week that Gordon suggesting that, that I got sacked from the SFA because I wouldn't wear a suit. <laughs> you haven't seen his presence. The only thing that's different from what I normally wear is the shorts are in the wash. <laughs> we haven't seen Brian's presentation skills yet, though, eh? But that's that's in part three. <laughs> Well, there's all different kinds of presentation skills, isn't there? It's it, well, it's, a lot of people who who like to see results on a piece of paper and can be tangible, and you can see them. Don't understand gut reaction or gut feeling. When I was doing the pro license, coaching pro license through the, through the SFA, and um, Walter Smith came to talk to us a couple of times about his experience as a manager. You're free to boo. I was quite happy to... Yeah, I'm quite happy. <laughs> but he's a, he's a cracking man and he's a very successful manager. Now, he said that the two times that he went against his gut reaction, he got the both of them fucking wrong. <laughs> and the chief executive... The, the, SFA team could understand that uh, gut reaction. He just couldn't. He just couldn't get it. But and it's part of the thing about football. Really, is is a feeling. It's a, it's about a learned kind of thing. And sometimes you you just got to make decisions uh, based on how you feel in that particular moment. Buying players, selling players, uh, picking teams, choosing tactics. It's and and that something that that's learned over a have a long period of time. I first started kicking a ball about when I was walking, to, when, I, when I, was, I was two years of age or something. And uh, my best friend, that, that when I was two, was uh, called The Wall, because all the other kids were at school. So I was thrown out in all weathers, and I just kicked the ball against the wall. And I got quite good at kicking the ball against the wall. 
And then that's really, I just did that for, I used to laugh at people saying to me when, maybe earlier on in my life when I used to go out, I could do what you do, but I just didn't get the breaks. I wasn't as lucky as you. And I would say, well, what did you do? What do you do for a living, if you don't mind asking? Well, I'm a plumber, or I'm a gas fitter, or I'm an electrician, or I'm a tiler, or I'm a joiner, or I'm a bricklayer. I said, uh, did you practice for 14 years before you got paid? Don't be so fucking stupid. <laughs> I says, well, I did, because I started practicing when I was two. And I didn't get a penny for it until I was 16. All oh, right, OK, fair point, yeah. You have mentioned today, uh, before we came on stage and uh, while well, we've been on the stage, a number of Scottish managers, Brian, going back to Matt Busby and Bill Shankly, Jockstein, Alex Ferguson, Walter Smith. It was like a procession mm. of outstanding Scottish managers. Is that something that you believe will continue in this modern day, how the game has changed so much? Could we still produce managers of that stature? I think it's, again, it's the same about the chances you're going to get, the opportunities are going to be given to you. Uh, and, they, and they had the same kind of thing. Alex Ferguson started his managerial career at East Stirling. When he went there, I think that the first day he was there, he had seven signed players. So he had to go out and scramble out to get a, a team. A squad, St Mirren, Aberdeen. So he, he grew into that thing. I don't, I don't, there's no reason if the if people really, really want to do it. I, I'm a very firm believer that if that's what really want to do, go and chase it, chase the dream, and try and uh, try and do that. What's your thoughts on the number of managers nowadays who haven't played the game? Well, there's not. There's there's a, a situation for all these things, as long as they enjoy themselves and as long as they laugh, as long as they kind of look as if they actually love the game and love the supporters, I think that may be the, the biggest criticism you could that I can see about Jose Mourinho, I didn't, he didn't look as if he was enjoying himself at all and I don't, didn't, never got that because he was the manager, coach of, of one of the biggest teams in the world surely it should be enjoyable, now you, you go the other way and, and people will I'll be critical of, of, of Neil Lennon, but he looks as if that he's really enjoying himself, you know, particularly Celtic scored a last minute goal at, uh, uh, at Dundee recently where he's um, I don't think he'd run that fast when he was playing. No, definitely but, no, no. <laughs> but it's great to see and, and supporters want to see that kind of thing or at least keep the view of feeling that they really care and that and it's enjoyable because we'd all want to have a wee go at it because that's the beauty of football uh, is everybody's got a view on it different one but entitled to have a view on it because you watch it, you read about it you've learned about it, you play it think about it, dream about it and that's what I'd, I'd like to see from the other way around and say that I love this so Jurgen Klopp for me is a great example I don't know if he loves Liverpool but he appears to love football he appears to love his players and that would be the thing that I would say well What's the biggest difference between him and Jose Mourinho? Jose looks like he doesn't even love himself, and that should be the first part of it. When you went to Manchester United, Brian, there was very much a group of players who had been kind of drinking buddies at Old Trafford, and Alex Ferguson tried to stamp it out. No, he and did. He didn't try it. He did. He did it. There's I was no going trying to about it. He stamped it out. Bang. Done. Yeah. It was Do you him. want to stay here, son? Aye. Stop fucking drinking. <laughs> Do you want me to stay here? <laughs> See you. And, and it was difficult decisions he made because 
No, it's not about. See, that's part of it, right? So, and it wasn't just. Liverpool had a drinking culture and they were winning European Cups, so it's not. Can't just, it's not down to that. That's the sort of thing that comes out of that. What the thing is about it is that managers, coaches, anyone in, the, in that particular position where you have to choose people to perform in a particular event are only interested in the ones who are available to do that. If you're injured, if you're suspended, if you're ill, or if you're misbehaving, they don't, they're not interested. They're only interested in those ones that are there to play, play the games. Now, unf- just the way it was, Paul McGrath, normal white side, Kevin, not so, maybe not so much Kevin, and Brian Robson as well, were injured a lot. Now, whatever, whether that was down to the preparation, whether that was down to the lifestyle, whatever, he changed that in that he needed players maybe not as inspirational, maybe not as good, because my view, Norman Whiteside was one of the best players I've ever played with, and he was broken then, because of his injuries and he's in, in all sorts of situations, but as a football player, intelligence, football intelligence and intellectual intelligence, incredible. But he, he wasn't available enough times to play. You need to have that. So you look at the teams that are consistent and teams that are, they're, they're squads that are fit and available that and that's it. The player who's fit is clearly more used to you than the player who's um, got a twisted sock. You went to Celtic, it was obviously a step up from Motherwell and at that time in 1987 moving from Celtic to Manchester United, how much of a big step up was that in terms of the, the size of the club, the preparation the I players would Steve will disagree because like Man United classes on that but um, in the sense of that they, they just had more more better players that was all so that my United more better players that was the only difference and so that challenged me uh, every day and maybe, maybe part of the thing was that, that Alex Ferguson chooses me out of all the players they could have picked right through the United Kingdom and possibly several parts of Europe to his first signing gives you a huge boost to your your uh, your confidence that he's there and he's, he's going to play in and it's, then it's down to me and I hadn't had that because uh, up to that point all the managers that had signed me had um, got sacked or left <laughs> so this is the first time that somebody had managed to stay in the job two weeks after I had arrived you know how, how did the other players in the dressing room feel about that because obviously a new manager comes in you go straight in as his first signing so a lot of them will be viewing you with suspicion Gone. Is this guy a spy in the camp? Is this uh, so how, how, a spy in the camp? Because you just signed. No, no. You know what I mean. Like you can. I went to bed. Nobody knew that story. Right? You didn't know that. Right? No, you know what I mean. You see, for for example, Brendan Rodgers brought in Scott Sinclair because Scott knew, how, Scott knew how. Scott knew how. No, is he a spy? <laughs> this is like handy. the Gerard interview for yesterday. Might be handy. <laughs> Maybe handy for Neil to know that really is. <laughs> but did any player hate your fucking guts? Well, yeah, well. I, in, in a way, probably in a way, I, Frank Stapleton, a great player, cracking lad, had just left, or, or Alex Ferguson gave him a free transfer, and he signed for Ajax, which seemed to me a, a pretty reasonable move for him to have him played for Arsenal Man United and then to go to Ajax to, to, to play the final part of his career and I remember going to Old Trafford because we didn't train there we trained in Salford 
at the Cliff or Ayrshire Road. And I bumped into Frank in reception at Old Trafford and I said, I'd never met him before, I said, hi Frank, how you doing? Uh, all the best, hope things go really well you, well for you in, uh, in Holland, the Netherlands. He said, thanks very much. And he turned around and said to me, good luck. And as I walked to go through the, the door uh, to go up to the offices, he didn't realise that I could hear it. He, he went, you'll need it. So I thought, oh, fucking thanks, Frank. <laughs> well, as it was, anyway, it was just Frank's kind of... He's, he's very uh, lugubrious, Frank, and it was just his kind of thing. And, and, and you expect that kind of thing. I, I don't know if any of them hated me, because uh, I just kind of went in there and did the same things I always did. They were there for my entertainment in the dressing room, because like, I wanted to be entertained every day. So I, they all thought I was weird anyway, so it doesn't really matter to me. So. <laughs> you, you came for a, a Celtic team where... Paul McStay was a jewel in the crown. Would McStay have flourished at Man United? Nah, I think he would have, eh? Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yeah, because one of the things right away was that Paul, a fine footballer, but he was always available to play. Nearly always available to play. And that's what they wanted. Now, you'll have to ask Alex Ferguson or Axie Knox why they weren't interested or where they and Paul decided they wanted to stay Celtic. I, I don't know that. One of the somebody things... in here that texts Paul all the time or every now and again, so they can ask him to text them. The, um... I don't text them now, he might be sleeping. What Fergie did at Aberdeen, um, as well as had a, a great first team, Brian, he obviously uh, dedicated a lot of time to youth. Aberdeen uh, continued to have a, a good, strong side in the late 80s and early 90s as a result of that. When did it become clear to you that he was replicating that at Old Trafford and there was this crop of young players coming through? And, uh, I mean, he was going all over the place signing the talent. Well, he did that right away because he re- recognised there was a him talking about they were going in to, tra- to coach at night time. But he, he, there was a lot of a lot of young players there who very quickly uh, went because he just, they decided they, they, they just were nowhere near good enough and they had a real big cull, which must have been difficult for them to tell these players who had been at United for it's not so much the same, same thing now, but I mean had been uh, romanced by Manchester for a long period of time and just been told all of a sudden you're going, you're not good enough. So they virtually stu- started again, and they were, they were clever enough with the people that they brought in to uh, not only yourself and that you were putting in the hours, but they brought in Brian Kidd who knew all the um, school headmasters because he was a local boy. And they were doing the scouting for him. They brought in Les Kershaw as, as the chief scout. So his recruitment policy with the garden staff has always been excellent. When you look at the, the fact that he's come in and there's been a cull of young players, uh, Brian, and all, all these young, younger 
guys are coming in. People probably like Lee Sharp, etc. Was part of that first well, they bought Lee flourish, Sharp, wasn't he? Was it Torquay came in? Yeah, from? they bought him. But there was yeah, the first ones that came in was were, were um, Lee Martin, Russell Beardsmore, and, and the manager's son Darren. And uh, you could see they were all competent football players. Lee Martin, they went on to play for Celtic as well. Uh, he was slightly unfortunate in that he had a massive nose. Uh, sorry. <laughs> He had a few injuries. He had a, he had a few injuries, and that, that's why I didn't quite. And then, then he, from from that, uh, Phil Phil Neville emerged at that. And Phil was always he was the one. Phil was the one that they wanted, and then that's why they signed Gary on because they wanted Phil. Phil could have been an international cricketer for uh, England. He was that. He was that. He had that those qualities, and uh, there was lots of other clubs interested in him, and, and they kept Gary so that, that Phil would. Would uh, would sign, and at the end of it, I suppose it's debatable that, that Gary might have ended up as a better player. But Phil, as a as a seventeen eighteen year old when he came into the team, was is exceptional. One of the things that our friend Steve has mentioned is that uh, it was always good to have a Scottish player at that time. Um, and th- when things got a bit hairy, you could always count on somebody like yourself, if necessary, to get involved. And obviously there was the, uh, we'll come on to the, the issue that you had, I think, was it Nigel Winterburn? What Arsenal? do you mean you think it was? <laughs> was it him? <laughs> it was actually quite amusing because um, last night the, the guy who was doing, the guy who did this thing with Patrick Barkley, who's a fantastic journalist, Scotsman, Dundee supporter, but we won't. There you go. It's a Dundee fan in the room. Excellent. You should be at the game, though. <laughs> It's just down the road at Paisley, you know. So I'm quite honoured. They said they came to see me. I'm like, you're mental, by the way. You don't <laughs> see me there and go watch a game of football. Uh, and, and the other guy said, yes, tell, can you just tell us about that problem you had with uh, uh, Nigel, Winter, uh, Nigel Worthington? I was like, I don't recall having a problem with Nigel Worthington. Did I have a problem with Nigel Worthington? Who also played left back as well, although he was Northern Irish. I said, you sure? Oh, shit, sorry. Winterburn. Ah, yeah, I had a few problems with him. <laughs> oh, oh, he had a few problems with me, more like, you know. So. What was that rivalry like between Man United and Arsenal at that point? Oh, it was huge. I mean, I think it probably it started really when the season before I came and Fergie got, well, no, it's always been a huge rivalry, but I think the real friction started at the, uh, the uh, previous season at Old Trafford. Were you there? When uh, Norman Whiteside decapitated a few, uh, Arsenal had not lost, had done a long unbeaten run, and they came to Old Trafford, and uh, Norman assassinated, proper assassinated a few uh, Arsenal players and got away with it, and uh, Arsenal players completely lost it, and there was a, a there was a huge thing there, not as good as mine, but there was a fair effort at a brawlish thing during the game, and uh, so I think it kind of that kind of started from then and kind of perpetuated for the next. Uh, Two years, two or three seasons, you know. Um, the Fergie always wanted to win against the teams that were winning things, winning, particularly winning championships. Arsenal had been managing to do at that time. What was the turning point where Man United came When did the club become the Man United that we knew under Ferguson? Was it winning the FA Cup, winning the Cup Winners' Cup? No, I think that when you, get, when you could see that by, I mean, the friends of mine, Norman and Paul, Kevin. Uh, but that he was ruthless enough, and Gordon as well, to to 
Right, so you've got, you're going to go and be strong enough to say have the has he the belief to bring in other players who found it really tough when they came in. Uh, all the players that, that came in, McFeelings, Pallisters, Paul Ince, um Steve Bruce, it was it was tough at the beginning. Danny Wallace, but you could see that there was a, that they were all, they were all fit and ready to play, um, and we could see we were going somewhere. And also within that, we knew that what was coming from behind because we used to watch the youth team playing in the morning and see Scholes and Butt and, uh, and Robbie Savage. <laughs> no, he played. He was there. He was in the same team. It's fucking hopeless. <laughs> But he went to Leicester. <laughs> For mere money. Brian, um, we're talking about turning points. Obviously, he spent a lot of money, and he spent a lot of money on Jim Layton, who was dropped for the replay, wasn't it, against Crystal Palace in the 1990 FA Cup. Now, they still don't talk. Apparently, I was hearing Jim Leighton last year. I mean, how can that be in your workplace when the manager and a player just do not communicate? David Hayner used to talk to me, and I was there for four years. <laughs> um, you got to me. It's clearly clear about it was that Jim was in poor form. He should have been left out weeks before that, but they, they persisted with it. We played a game at the City Ground. Um, not long before the cup final, might be the last league game. I don't recall the last midweek league game. And Stuart Pearce played for them at the time. <laughs> That's because he managed City, um, and he talks shit. He likes the Sex Pistols. Uh, yeah, so there's yeah, but his brothers in some kind of nice political party isn't it so. so anyway he used to smash he used to smash free kicks in all the time a great smashing free kicks in and this game we're all red in the wall got to be brave because it's going to be sore if it hits you he runs up and he chips the ball over the wall and we thought oh, thank god for that we're not getting we're not getting going home with uh, uh, sore bollocks or sore thighs or sore uh, six packs <laughs> Four packs, two packs, all right, whatever. Uh, and Jim dived over it. He actually dived over the ball and it trickled over the line. I went, what the fuck are you doing? And I knew we were contact lenses and things at the time. I was like, what the fuck are you blind? Fucking hell. Uh, Four nil the beaters. And, that, and really that was probably the... But they stuck with him in the cup final. And he didn't have the best of games, to say the least. But we played the, the, the cup final replay was on the Thursday... And um, we should have known there was something different because the manager always stuck to a routine. And uh, the night before, he said, team talk before dinner. He never did that before. And he just named the team. Just named the team and then went through what we were supposed to be doing and walked out. Everybody was like, ah. oh, my God. Jim's not playing, you know. Les is playing. And it was like... Phew. It's just... It was, we, we'd, uh, we had dinner. Jim went to, went to his room. And uh, I was the one that was Jim's roommate, so I had to uh, sit and listen to him. No, I didn't listen to him. He was on the phone all night talking to people, saying how upset he was. And, he just, and that's just continued. So I can understand in a way, but it, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a long time now, really, to do. But I can understand. I don't think Fergie will be asked, really. <laughs> no, no. Do you need that kind of ruthless streak, though, Brian? A lot of the, the, the big managers, when we're talking about Steen, etc., they were clearly quite ruthless. 
And obviously, as you say there, at the end of the day, he's not going to be bothered because they won the cup. It's not that. It's, 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 you, you've, you, you, he's looking at you as a, really as a commodity, and I know it sounds kind of cruel, but that's how it is. He's looking at a group, and how can he can, because he wants to be successful, and he wants to win things, and he wants to stay doing what he's doing, and he's, he's evaluating you all the time, uh, and that's that's just the way that what happened, and, and you can look at it a different way and say actually. He's doing uh, Jim a favour by not putting him back in that situation because he had a torrid time in the in the in the game on the Saturday and, and subsequently in the press and uh, and all the forms of media then and and it was just it was just the right decision and he got the right result and then we kept winning after that because you you get to habit once and you always want to win and win trophies and, and that kept going and kept going and kept going into to the great heights that uh, all those teams that he built. But that, that's how you worked. Yeah, and it's, you can say, it. yeah, it's ruthless, yeah, but he, he's not, there's nothing personal about it. He wasn't, he wasn't picking on Jim to say that I want you to hate me for uh, for 30 years. It was just, otherwise he'd have probably chosen me. <laughs> I got away with murder. Off the pitch. You know, the, the period 87 to 90, we think about Fergie now, there's a veneer of invincibility about him. Was there ever a point where you actually felt that it was getting to him and he didn't believe he, he could actually turn it around and save his job? No, because uh, he was getting proper a proper shoeing every day in the press. We were getting him Sunday, maybe Monday evening paper, but he was getting it every day. And they never, ever said that it was our well, I did, no, I did tell us it was our fault, but he told us to our faces it was our fault. Uh, and we were all shit, it was just acceptable. Uh, and needed to do better, which is absolutely correct. Uh, and uh, and if it wasn't, he wasn't going to be, I'll get some other person to do it, which he did on several occasions. But we, he never put any pre- any added pressure on us, which was quite remarkable, really. You know, he never criticised us publicly. Gave us plenty privately. <laughs> sometimes merited, sometimes not. You always think back to, you know, 92, 93 and the big changes in English football, uh, the modernisation of that with the introduction of Sky Sports, Brian. As a player, what was the biggest differences you noticed? Was it the signing of more players from overseas? Or? Well, the biggest difference is that the, the biggest difference, and it made a huge difference to the team that won the league, the last English First Division Championship, which was uh, Leeds United, was that... Uh, the following season they almost got dragged into a relegation battle because their one major tactic got completely fucked up because you couldn't pass the ball back to the goalie and he couldn't pick it up anymore and that's what they did they their back four all the two centre halves always passed the ball back to John Lukic who'd shell the ball up the pitch for uh, Lee Chapman and Eric Cantona. No, I don't know anything about Lee Chapman's wife. <laughs> and Eric Cantona. Right. I don't know anything about that, right? Um, although uh, she did some weird with her lips, didn't she? Uh, can't say that was Eric either. Anyway, they shelled the ball up the front and they did really powerful midfield. They had uh, Speedy, Gary McAllister, David Batty, and, and Gordon Strachan, and that's. Get the uh, Matt Busby used to say yeah, the, the, op- the opponents won't score a goal in their own half, and that's what Leeds did the following year. That completely fucked them up. They had to kick the ball out for throw-ins and corners, and John Lukic was decent on his feet, but he couldn't get the. So they were pinned in, and, and they were losing, and um, 
uh, one of the things that, uh, that tickled funny enough, it was uh, if we, we played Leeds that season. I remember uh, Gary McAllister in the uh, the um, the players' lounge after in the days that they used to invite the opposition in for a drink, win, draw, or loss. And I remember Gary talking to some friends, and he goes, "Fucking hell, you don't believe it! Every fucker wants to beat you when they're champions." I'm like that. We hadn't been champions by then. I'd been there four years at Celtic, three years at uh, Man United, four years at Man United. I'm thinking, fucking hell, welcome to our world. <laughs> Eight years I've had that. You've only had that for a couple of months. Anyway, that was that was Garam Carlster saying about that, you know. I didn't go on and say, fucking hell. Do you think you've got it tough? So Leeds sell Man United, Eric Cantona. What was he like in the dressing room? Could Brilliant. Because you, you got moved back to my no. No, 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 no. Signed Eric Cantona. I thought, well, when I heard the news, um, for some reason, David Hayes' image came into my head. <laughs> and my first thing was, well, that's me fucked. <laughs> Plays in the same position, that bollocks now, but, oh, well, fair enough, He's, he seems like... Well, we didn't know, we knew he was a good player, but from everything else, you can see that he was a, a, a known font terribly which for uh, the uh, non-Italian-speaking students in the room <laughs> is a, a naughty child, uh, which a lot of us have already had, particularly when they're two years of age. Uh, but he was brilliant when he came in. He really polite. Um, I could tell that he was intelligent and had a good sense of humour. Worked hard. Um, great skills and just wanted to be and it was, as, it was as if it was like that was his place you know they talk about theatre dreams you need a stage you know you, that's your stage to in order to do perform it was as if you thought yeah this is this is where I belong and he was very respectful to everyone and uh, he quite quickly gained the uh, trust loyalty and respect of us all and uh, he wasn't a bad player either Often it's called, Brian, the, the Cantona effect because when he came in, he introduced a lot of the different techniques that he maybe had gathered in France. And uh, there was a suggestion. Practice speaking French. The French speaking bit. Um, painting. painting. We were all painting. We, found, yeah. we, we, yeah, we couldn't well, believe it. <laughs> we were all in fields in the middle of France the week landscapes. <laughs> painting. But if you ever see any Eric's paintings, you'll see a picture of great photograph of Eric in a field in, in Provence or something like that and he's got an easel and he's got a smock on and he looks fantastic, sunshine and all that, wild flower meadow and he's there with his easel and he's got his brush and he's holding it up, checking I don't know what you do because I'm not an artist but holding a brush up And uh, but when you turn it around, it's coloured by numbers <laughs> you get apps for it on your phone and your iPad, I've seen adverts for it, that's what he was doing oh, hmm in, in, bleu. <laughs> de. Rouge. <laughs> it's fucking, what's that? Did so, they were, yeah, they were, we were doing a lot of painting. Introduced all that. Did they introduce anything to the football culture in terms of practice after the training? And yeah, he used, to, he used to go out, but I think that was mainly because he was, he, was, he was allowed to bring his child to train and none of the rest of us were. So he was out on the pitch kicking the ball about with his son. So none of the wrestlers are allowed to do that. So that's just so. Yeah, he did. He, well, he wanted to keep playing. Maybe he didn't want to go home. I don't know. I never asked him. <laughs> did Fergie let him away with a wee bit more? I know Lee Sharp used to moan about the fact that uh, he had yeah. red trainers with a suit and all this kind of stuff. Listen, you, you're, all the great players, right, will get away with a bit more if they do, if they win games. And you, and you have to. That's the skill of managing. You know the ones that you can just leave alone. 
um, low maintenance and there are other ones that are high maintenance that need a lot of love, care, attention and uh, I don't. I think that all the other coaches that had had Derek would just try to bully him into that, and he wasn't having any of that. He needed somebody to understand about what he was like and what he was trying to do, and uh, he found that with Alex Ferguson. Yes, yeah, you're looking at it probably because Sharpie got more bullockings because um, the thing that Sharpie's talking about was a was a civic reception. We all had to wear a suit, no jeans. And uh, a tie, and Sharpie came in. He did have a suit on, but it might have been a wee bit colourful. And um, he got a row from Alex Ferguson, but it's like, what are you doing? What are you wearing that for? You know your fucking problem. It's this, it's this, it's that. You're wearing, you think you're made it, you think you're this, you think you're that. And Eric comes in, and he's got a, he's got a suit on, give him credit, but he's got a shirt, and he's got the same, co- he's got his collar turned up in the shirt, white shirt, <laughs> no tie on. I think it was, I think it was a blue suit, very nice suit. And, he, and then they look down and he's got a pair of Nike high top bright red <laughs> and quite right in Sharpie's mind he's thinking he's getting it he's getting it I've just had a ball looking for wearing a suit that's not that much and it wasn't really that much out of the thing and uh, the manager just went over to Eric and said hey, he said uh, nice suit Eric <laughs> maybe lose the trainers the next time son eh that was it more okay, case. Me, we, and that was it. Chappie's like, and then he sold Chappie. Obviously, Eric was involved in a famous incident at Selhurst Park. What was the reaction in the dressing room to that after it happened? Well, I remember getting told by the reserve team goalkeeper, Gary Walsh, that Eric had, I didn't see it, that Eric had uh, kung fu something in the crowd. I says, that's not physically possible. That defies the laws of physics because it's like two foot, three foot drop down to that. You can't, you can't do that and get back up in the time that I saw for the noise of them doing it to be standing on the pitch. I'm thinking, no, that, that, there's not enough time to to kung fu somebody, land in the terrace and then jump back over again. So no, I'm telling you, you did it. Nah, no chance. And then when I saw it on the telly, it was like... Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's incredible, that. (laughs) And then I I wonder what he said. I wonder what he said. For fuck's sake, you know, I know he's in a bit because he'd been sent off again. But But I'm thinking... I, should, to, I mean, see if you're a rubbish player, right? Like the player he stamped on at Crystal Palace, you should be allowed to get away with that. Cause he, 
you should be allowed to get away with it. He played for England once as well. Fuck me, I don't know. Is that, you know, you basically then allows you to tell the story. What was the bit we were armed in your career? Uh, Eric Cantona stamped on me twice with both his feet. And it was not, he used to wear mouldy studs. It was as if he could hurt you. You know, if it was big, if it was Roy Aitken size studs, Roy Aitken used to wear studs that size. Massive, big studs. If it had been that, it might be a wee bit sore, but there was like carpet slippers stamping on you now. So you should be allowed to, Eric should be allowed to get away with that, in my view. Um, but particularly if you're a bad player. If you're a good player, that'd be a different thing, but the good players just used to stand and watch and admire them. Um, yeah, it was, it, Dad just thought, what has he said? What's going to happen? Okay, what's going to happen? I thought, okay, and I know what was going to happen if any of the rest of us done it. We'd have been out. <laughs> but then uh, none of the rest of us were cantona. The speech he gave about the uh, seagulls. Aye, about it. Was he, be, was he being serious or was that a wind-up, Brian? All right, all right. So he knows he's got to say something, right? So he might as well have said what I said earlier. Um, do you know how to tell a Celtic and a Rangers fan when you're in a pub in Glasgow? One will be wearing green shoes and one will be wearing red and white shoes. He picked it because it's a fact. If you throw fish over a trawler, seagulls will follow the trawler. That's what it, that's what it is. It's a fact. He could have said, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but uh, I am French. But, I, but everybody buys into this idea that it, that it means something really philosophical. He was just pissed off. He was thinking, oh, what have I done? I've only, stamped, I've only kicked some knobhead in the crowd. <laughs> and I'm going to prison for it. <laughs> and you'd expect him to go, what, you say what? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I was like... You try it, somebody comes down and gets, runs down to you when you're in emotional distress because you've been sent off because you've stamped on a bad football player. You're in, you're in a heightened state of emotion and somebody runs down and says something about your mother, you know. Of course you're going to be upset. Try it. <laughs> Run about slagging somebody's mother off this afternoon and see what happens to you. <laughs> Go down the high street. There was another famous incident at Selhurst Park with a player that you've already told us that you never rated. So when I never said that. I, I said I couldn't see a player at the time. <laughs> and I was prepared to say that I was, I was, uh, I can, I could be proven wrong on so, that. So Mr. Beckham picks up the ball. No, no, you find that it was an exquisite, it was an exquisite pass, an exquisite assist. <laughs> I came on a sub. And uh, Fergie said, look, just keep it to make tell tell them. He probably said, tell those fucking idiots, calm down, play the game this way, go get the ball. And uh, so, right, no problem, Gav goes on. She looks calm, the game's nearly won now, settle down, we're doing whatever else it is. Somebody passes me the ball, and uh, I, thinking that I'll give the ball to David, and then I'll move somewhere else, he'll give it way back. You know, and then we'll keep doing this up the pitch, and then we'll get a corner or a throw in. No, I pass the ball to him, and then the next one I'm going, oh, for fuck's sake, he's going to shoot. So he shoots, or he hits the ball, and I'm watching and going, fucking hell, that's gone in. Because <laughs> I couldn't really tell so much about it, because I know, because you couldn't really tell, because I was in my own half, and all that. And all I could think about was, fucking hell, Scottish goalkeeper.
Did you have? Did you have to do that? Did you decide because he was Scottish? Is that why you tied it? What was the, What was going through your head? Is that what you say to him when you jumped on his back? I don't know why I did that. Just like I was just thinking. I don't know what I was doing. It was not, but it was a cross. <laughs> I think probably realised at that point, ah, that's why you were trying all those fucking ridiculous passes, weren't you? And Because uh, one day you were dreaming about scoring from the halfway line against a Scottish goalkeeper <laughs> in your own back pack, on your own backyard, weren't you? That's what you're doing. So you were quite a clever bastard, weren't you? Back for the Scottish goalkeeper bit. Uh, yeah, so that was my... There's like that fits in. That's a very... An exquisite... Exquisite... Little pass to um, David Beckham, a little one-two with uh, Monsieur Cantona, um, the twenty-one man brawl at Old Trafford, and that was my United career. <laughs> <laughs> Beckham, of course, was part of the uh, class of '92, as have become known, uh, Brian. <clears throat> From that that crop of players, who was the star for you? Because I know Beckham is the glitzy guy and you know, all the rest of it, but. Who was the real star of that group of players? Well, the, the, for me, the, 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 I, 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 went, I, I was fortunate that the, Nicky Bott, no, no, I was fortunate or not, but Nicky Bott and Paul Scholes asked me to go in to see the Martin Edwards on their behalf and speak about a contract for them. And at the time, I said that for me, it was um, in pecking order in the sense of where it would be. It was, um, for me, it was Scholes, but Beckham. Neville, Sen- Neville Junior, Neville Senior. That's where I put it in. Uh, Scolese uh, was an, an, an astonishing football player, and uh, as as you might have seen recently, he's quite an interesting human being as well. Uh, he doesn't take much shit whatsoever, Scolese. You know, one of the nicest things that Scolese ever did for me was that uh, I was coaching with Brian Kidd at Blackburn, and we got a, a ticket with the window cleaner who still cleans the windows at Carrington. Um, asked if he would get a ticket because I think Man United were playing away that day or there was no game and he would come to Blackburn and I went out to the front of the stadium at Blackburn to give him his ticket and he said to me Scolese told me to give you a message I thought oh that's really nice of him what did he say hello <laughs> fair enough <laughs> tell him the same thing back Neil Lennon's in charge of Celtic. Obviously, what's your views on uh, Rogers leaving? The powers that be have decided that he would be allowed to speak to um, to Leicester, and, and he felt that for whatever reason that um, that's where his his next uh, step was with regards to his coaching. I think that that kind of don't really get if it's reported. The uh, was the thing about saying he, he, the, about. You know, if you go, you just got to said. So I, I knew it was going to happen to me in the sense of, of how disappointed people were going to be when I left Celtic. And, and you just, that's part of how, it's, how it is. And I'm very grateful for the, any kind of affection I get from anybody that supports Celtic in particular. Now, I didn't go to under and say, well, yeah, well, but I'm disappointed in how people have been saying things about me. Or um, I would be disappointed if I didn't get to manage in the future. Well, just stay then. You know, it's like don't don't make a fuss because no 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 football fans are not stupid. None of them are stupid, so they know when it's like crap, really. You know, just don't say it. 
we're going to go, go, and that's your decision to go, fine. And then going with Now, what has happened with that is it's given uh, Neil Lennon, who had a difficult time after doing so well at Hibs, and uh, another opportunity to be the manager, coach, whatever you want to call him, at uh, Glasgow Celtic. And I'm sure he's more than pleased that Brendan decided to uh, go to a giant club in the Midlands. No, sorry, he went to Leicester. <laughs> In your, in your playing days, what's your favourite memory of playing against Rangers? I suppose my favourite one was that the, the guy didn't punch me and he ran on the pitch at Celtic Park. Uh, this guy ran on the pitch as I was about to take a penalty. I think he was a Rangers. He came to the Rangers and might not have been a Rangers fan. And he was running straight towards me and I thought, well, for fuck's sake, what do you do here? <laughs> do, you, do you just punch him back? Or what? I don't know. I didn't know. Um, New Year's Day, can't remember what year it was. Uh, Ibrox. Uh, Celtic one, Rangers nil. Celtic one, goal scorer McLear. Uh, there's no, uh, I don't think there's any TV of this uh, because I don't know, there might be, but I hit this um, pile driver from the edge of the box, <laughs> and it was such a strong effort that it, we all turned away as we expected to ram into the top hand corner of Peter McCloy. The Given Lighthouse, who was in goals for Rangers at the time. Anyway, it was embarrassing. It was an embarrassing shot. It was embarrassing, right? It was like, oh, for fuck. Anyway, this few seconds later, the crowd are up behind the goals. It, Peter McCloy's gone down to pick up the ball, and it's rolled through his legs. <laughs> and it didn't even touch the net, it just rolled over the line. <laughs> so I never actually saw it going in. And none of the rest of us, until we turned around and all you lot are celebrating, man, they go, what's happened there? What are they cheering for? And you can see him going, ah, he's just looking. And it just rolled over the line. That's my finest achievement as a football player. <laughs> this gentleman's wearing a Tommy Burns T-shirt. What's your favourite memory of Tommy? Probably the favourite memory was, and he came in to me one day and uh, I was sitting in the dressing room and he said to me, what age are you, son? I said, I'm uh, 20, Tommy. Two weeks' time, you'll be my age, 27. Like that. <laughs> what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> anyway, he got it bang on. It's two weeks later, and I'm 55 now. <laughs> How did that happen? How did that, how did that happen? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all very much for attending today and for all your questions and your participation. Thank you very much. You've been brilliant. Thank you. What we've done today, Kevin and I do it every week on a podcast called The Celtic State of Mind. So please listen in, uh, subscribe to A Celtic State of Mind, listen to what we're doing. So today, we've been very, very proud to share a stage with this man to my left. This has been made possible by our partners, Fansbet, so a huge thank you to them. I'd just like to put your hands together for Brian McClure. Thank you. A Celtic State of Mind can be found at axom.net. We're sponsored by Fansbet, the betting company by fans for fans.
Social Podcast Network.